I just stop early and <clears throat> get on with our meal and, and the evening that way. Well, last night we were talking about various scriptures that give us instruction on how to be a proper mate for Christ and some of the instructions he gives to men and to women on a physical marriage plane, but that have a type in the spiritual marriage to him. Uh, I did mention, at least in passing, uh, about the religions of this world and how uh, they are not organized according to God's way, nor do they follow his truths. And uh, I want to emphasize that just a little bit more here, because we've been talking <coughs> about faithfulness in marriage and how God does not like us to go away from him uh, in terms of his word, in terms of his uh, marriage vows, which there will be. So I want to go to Matthew 15, where the scribes and Pharisees came to him and said, uh, why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders, for they wash not their hands when they eat bread? Now, here you have a little insight into Judaism, in that the Pharisees and Sadducees, the leading Jews, had made all kinds of ordinances that you can't find in Scripture. Nowhere in the Old Testament, which is the only Scripture they used, it's all they had until the apostles wrote the New Testament. So, the traditions of the elders were what they went by. You can read books today that they've written, Protocols of Zion and various things that the Jews have. And a lot of that stuff doesn't even resemble the Bible. And God gave the Bible for his word. So the Jews were touted as the leading religion of the day. I don't know what you'd call the leading religion of America today it might depend on your upground, up, up, upbringing and your training. You might think it's the Catholics or the Mormons or the Presbyterians or Scientology or whatever, because you might know about that one. But if you examine them all, as I said last night, they have very, very little that has anything to do with the Bible. And the, the Jews were the same way. They'd gotten away from Scripture and were keeping their own traditions. Let's see what Christ says about that. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So the commandments of God are what count, and Christ made that point very, very clear here, that the, the traditions of the Jews, or men in general, as we'll see, uh, don't count. And he didn't have anything in his entire ministry good to say about the Jews. Go through there. See if you can find anything. Not in there. They say a lot of good things about themselves, but he doesn't. And yet many people in the church of God, when it began to break up, and even before, began to do Jewish prayers and Jewish dances and, and follow some Jewish instructions and all kinds of things, and Herbert Armstrong tended to honor the Jews. And, uh, but was he honoring the bloodline or was he honoring what they teach? And I don't remember him ever 
proclaiming that Judaism was a good thing as a religion. But he gave deference to physical Jews. That is, the ones he might not have known were Edomites, I don't know. I don't think he even understood that many Jews who call themselves Jews are not Jews, but Edomites. Anyway, why do you deny God's commandments? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he, he that curses his father and mother, let him die the death. One of the Ten Commandments. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever you might be profited by me. So they tried to make their parents think that they were doing them good when they were stealing everything they had, is what that boils down to. Uh, and then you don't honor your father or your mother. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition, by your own way of doing things and thinking. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draws near to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, what is the definition of love in Scripture? 1 John 5, 3. John makes it very clear, very succinct. This is the love of God that you keep the commandments. Commandment keeping is what defines the love of God because His love is expressed in the first four to Him and the last six to man. And what does most religion today do? Nearly all religions in so-called Christianity say the commandments are done away with. So God's love is done away with. No way of putting it, but it's a fact. They do not abide in the love of God, nor do they reflect the love of God. Organized religion, as espoused across this country and throughout Christianity, is false religion. There's nothing good about it. Because when you do away with God's commandments, you're doing exactly as Satan does. Oh, you don't have to do what God says. Just do what you want to. In vain, it's, it's vanity. It means nothing. Do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men? And you go to any of the churches today, and you find very little of this book there. You find the traditions or commandments of men. The Mormons hardly refer to this book at all. It's as a backup there for Joe Smith's book the Book of Mormon. That's the one they go by. And other religions who claim to follow the Bible, most of them only know about 10 to 50 scriptures, and that's it. That's the ones they go by all the time. I used to go round and round with Protestants when they'd write in for a visit, and, uh, well, the commandments are done away with. On and on it would go. By grace are you saved. They forgot to add faith, but grace only. All you have to do is accept the name of Jesus and you're done. Saved. Once saved, always saved. And they nearly all teach that. Not true. Why did Paul say I could be a castaway after he'd been an apostle all those years? So the doctrines of men just don't cut it. 
You might say, well, he says organized religion's bad. Well, what about us? Are we organized? Eh, somewhat. But do you remember what we often called coming to a knowledge of the Scripture? When did you come into the truth, we would say? Not into the church necessarily, but we often use that phrase, when did you come into the truth? Because whatever religion you were in was not true. It wasn't the truth. It was lies. So when we saw this body of Scripture that explains what God wants, we started calling it the truth, simply. Now, God does have a church, but He places you in it. Let's go quickly to 2 Timothy 3.5. Christ has rules for His bride, for His wife. Uh, there's a certain way we have to live if He's going to give us eternal life because He does not want confusion. You know, people used to say, well, how can all these churches be wrong? And Mr. Armstrong would always say, how could all these churches be right? Because they all disagree with each other. So, they can all be wrong, but they certainly can't all be right. Second Timothy 3, verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. So, they use his name. It is a form of religion a form of worship, but it denies His power. Well, where does His power come from? His Spirit is His power. And He only gives His Spirit to those who obey. Acts 5.29, is it? Or 32. 29, I think. He only gives it to those that obey. Obey what? The commandments of God. So all these people who think they're in the Spirit, who say the law is done away with, the commandments of God are gone, do not have the Spirit of God. They think they do, but they don't, because they don't obey. And He won't give it, according to His own Word, unless they do. So what do they got? They got a false spirit. They are the children of He whom they obey, and the one they obey says God's commandments and God's words are done away, and you don't have to follow them. Satan. They are churches of Satan. That's why I don't like organized religion. I want the truth. It says there, and I quoted it yesterday, John 4.24, those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And truth is the Word of God. So that's where you have to go. So there can only be one truth. And any other church that's formed that doesn't have the truth about the Sabbath, the truth about the Ten Commandments, the truth about any number of things that are in this book, they've got to be a false church. That's what he told the Jews. You're, you're a false church. Judaism is a bunch of hypocrites that don't follow the commandments of, men, of God, but the traditions of men. Now, he faced that, and I want to go next to a history lesson back in Ezekiel 16. Because since we're talking about marriage and Christ's marriage, we have to assess the fact 
that historically he was married once before. And to understand where we go forward from here, we need to understand the conditions that were there then, because he wound up being divorced. And we don't want to be divorced. We're not in danger in that sense of being divorced, because once he marries his bride, there will be no longer any going back because they will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and become immortal and eternal and spirit. But there is that period of time before his next marriage that's called an engagement. And the engagement can be broken. Now, he's going through an engagement period with us here so that he can determine if we truly qualify to be part of his bride. And it can be changed. He doesn't want to go through another divorce, and he will not. So he will make sure that anyone who is going to become his next bride will stay there and always will be faithful. So let's go back and look at a little bit of history here. And this this also confirms the point that the whole Bible is really written about Christ and his marriage, about the church, or about spiritual Judaism, or spiritual Israelites. Uh, Because there was a marriage covenant, that's what it was in the Old Testament. He made a covenant with them on Sinai with his laws, with the Ten Commandments at Pentecost, after they came out of Mitzrayim. But he established it not as just a commandment, covenant, but a marriage covenant. Uh, Marriage covenant is a very serious commitment to make. But here in 16 of Ezekiel, he says, Again, the word of the Eternal came to me, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And say, Thus says the Eternal to Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity is of the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother an Hittite. Now, we know that Israel was born of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob and and Joseph and so on. But what he's saying here is, I married you, and you don't look like the wife I married. And we have to translate that and say, Christ has decided to be engaged to us, and how much are we going to look like the wife he wants to marry when he returns? So then you read about how she looked after the marriage and where she went. This is not to be repeated, in other words. This is to be learned from. As for your birth or your nativity, in the day that you were born, your navel was not cut, neither were you washed in water to supple you. You were not salted at all nor swaddled. No one pitied you to do any of these to you, to have compassion on you, but you were cast in the open field to the loathing of your person in the day that you were born. Uh, So nobody cared about Israel. God only. But what what do people think of true Israelites today? Well, they want to throw us out unswaddled. (laughs) 
They're running Muslims all into Western Europe and all into this country to destroy us because all the Gentile nations hate physical Israel. And as soon as they learn where spiritual Israel is, they're going to hate it even worse because it's double trouble to them. It isn't physical Israel who's going to go out and preach to them that God is God. It's going to be the church or spiritual Israel who does that through the two witnesses. So, and through the witnesses of those others who are at Zion uh, that can be pointed to as followers of God who are being blessed. So, the world is going to do this to Israel. This is a prophecy, Ezekiel 16, end-time prophecy. It's a his- historical record, but it's a prophecy for now. And that's where we come in. When I passed by you, I saw you polluted in your own blood, and I said, when were you in your blood uh, live? You, yes, I said to you, when you were in your blood, live. Now, when he looked at the church here some 30 years ago, he says, you're polluted. It's just like you were born and not taken care of. What happened to you? You should have been taken care of. You should have been properly taught. You should be a wife, a good, loyal, faithful wife by now. And here you are, lackadaisical, ho-hum, going through the motions, but your heart's not in it. We'll see that here in a minute. I have caused you to multiply as the bud of the field, and you have increased and waxed great. You are come to excellent ornaments. Your breasts are fashioned. Your hair is grown where you were naked and bare. So taking it on through puberty and, and growing up, as Israel did, and as the church did. Now, when I passed by you and looked upon you, behold, the time, your time was a time of love. You matured enough to take a lover, a husband, And I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore to you and entered into a covenant with you, says the Eternal, and you became mine. (laughs) When they had been in Israel, that's where they grew up. That's where they really were born, if you will, was when Jacob brought 70 individuals into Mitzrayim, and they grew to roughly three and a half million people. But the Egyptians didn't particularly care for them when they were born as a nation. And then they misused them and abused them and made slaves out of them. And God says, well, you were grown up into a nation, and you weren't following me. In fact, when Moses came around, they says, he says, you've got to worship God. And they said, which one? There's, there's lots of them around here. Which one you want? And then God poured out the plagues on a lot of Egyptian, Egypt's gods. And they found out those weren't the ones to follow. And they suffered through the first ones of those. So God was introducing himself. When I passed by, you were grown up, you were ready, so I made a marriage covenant with you. Took you out in the wilderness, uh, delivered you out of slavery, took you away from all the problems that had been, and I fed you, and I clothed you, and I didn't let your shoes wear out. And I took care of you, and I made this covenant with you of marriage. I washed you with water. I thoroughly washed away your blood from you. The Red Sea was a type of baptism, cleaning them all up from the sin and slavery they'd been through. 
just as he brings us into truth and introduces us to the true God instead of the false God of the world who walks around with a pansied face and long hair and has no power. See, there's a way that they deny the power thereof. They have a form of godliness. We have Jesus, but we believe he was a petulant, namby-pamby sissy who had no power. So he cleaned them all up. I clothed you with broidered work. Didn't he do that when he brought us into the possibility of being his bride? He began to give us true doctrine, right teaching, good things, instead of whatever it was we were out in this world. I girded you with fine linen, and I covered you with silk, decked you with ornaments, and I put a bracelet on your hands and a chain on your neck, a jewel in your nose and earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Now, this is figurative. I don't think all those Israelites wandering around out there were dressed quite this way. Uh, but when he talks to us, he says we're to put on the fine garments of righteousness, and there are scriptures where he talks about crowns and so on, and he's going to give us crowns ultimately. But we're still just engaged. Back then, he actually married them. So uh, he gave them everything they could need to be a faithful wife. I decked you with all these wonderful things. I'll skip on down here. Uh, your renown went forth among the heathen for your beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness. Uh, when Jericho's walls fell, all the heathen around just stood back in horror because of what God had done. And they said, ooh, we can't fight those people. God's on their side, whichever God that was to them. But she had a problem. 15, you did trust in your own beauty and played the harlot because of your renown and poured out your fornications on every one that passed by, his it was. And our nation's done the same thing. We've made treaties with other nations, economic, military, cultural, you name it. Instead of looking to God for our protection, we depend upon our own military. Instead of looking to him for healing. We have a medical industry that's killing people as fast as they can and, and the drugs that go with it. They do some good, but God says, I'm your healer. What about Asa? He says he was diseased in his feet. And he told Asa, because you went to the doctors instead of to me, you will die. That one scares me a little bit. You know what I mean? So, in every facet of life, she depended on someone other than God. And God calls that spiritual adultery. Lack of faithfulness to Him. And that is what the New Testament talks about. Is the bride of Christ must adhere to every word of God, keep all of His instructions, and be totally loyal and faithful and live the way he wants everybody to live in his perfectly peaceful kingdom. That's what he's pointing at. And that's what he's complaining about here. You didn't do that. You, you went your own way. You did your own thing. Uh, you've taken your fair jewels of my gold and my silver, which I've given you, and made yourself images of men, and did commit whoredom with them. What happened <clears throat> to the truth in... Uh, the early New Testament church. There was a great falling away from the truth. 
And here in this age, we had a great falling away from the truth. And even the organized church, if you will, left the truth completely and went into paganism. Right back where they'd come from. Dog to their vomit. Sow to her wallow. <coughs> so what we're reading here in Ezekiel 16 is a perfect example of the modern day church. You, you wasted all these things on false doctrine, false teaching, false practice. Went back to the day of the sun instead of the Sabbath. And on and on it goes. Uh, verse 20, Moreover, you have taken your sons and your daughters whom you have borne unto me, and you have, these you have sacrificed uh, unto them to be devoured. Is this of your whoredoms a small matter? Well, today we abort them, kill them. Millions and millions of babies have been killed in this country, sacrificing them to a false god of Satan who wants all mankind to die. Verse 23, It came to pass, after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says the eternal God, that you built to you an eminent place and have made you a high place in every street. Uh, churches on every corner. Let's see. Uh, let's go on down. Verse 28, You have played the whore with the Assyrians because you were insatiable, you played the harlot with them, and yet could not be satisfied. You have moreover multiplied your fornication in the land of Canaan uh, unto Chaldea. Well, we're the modern Babylon. We've gone to ancient Chaldea or Babylon, accepted their ways, designed their capital after them, and have become Babylonian instead of godly. All right, let's go on down. It says, you're worse than a whore, you, you scorn higher, but as a wife that commits adultery, which takes strangers instead of her husband, uh, they give gifts to all whores, but you give your gifts to all your lovers and hire them, that they may come to you on every side for your whoredom. And that's what our nation has done. We've given gifts, foreign aid, everything to get people to come follow our Babylonian way. Uh, verse 36, because the eternal God, or thus says the eternal God, because your filthiness was poured out and your nakedness discovered through your whoredoms with your lovers and with all the idols of your abominations and by the blood of your children murdered, which you did give to them, I will gather all your lovers with whom you have taken pleasure and all them that you have loved with all them that you have hated. I will even, even gather them round about against you and will discover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as women that break wedlock and shed blood are judged. They were stoned in the Old Testament. Killed. And I will give you blood in fury and jealousy. God does not like unfaithfulness. I think that becomes clear here. And he goes on and talks about it more and more. I, I, I think I'll drop it right there for sake of time. You can read the rest of the chapter, and we've read it before. But it shows that God expects total faithfulness. And when he sees our disloyalty and our unfaithfulness to him, to his word, to his truth, to his way of life, what happens? Go to Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah 3. I 
show you what happens. Here in verse 8, talking about Israel and Judah here. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And he goes on to explain how Judah was treacherous, verse 10, and has taught not turn to me with her whole heart, but feignedly, says the Eternal. And he tells us there in Jeremiah that we are to turn to him with our whole heart, uh, not feignedly, not play in church, but to turn totally to God. Anything less than that is unacceptable to him. He wants a loyal, faithful wife forevermore, and he divorced ancient, even though he had chosen Israel, <clears throat> though he had promised Abraham and them that he would work with her and she'd become a great nation. That was based upon them following his laws and his ways. And when they went the other way, I want nothing more to do with you. I'll divorce you. Isaiah 50. You can't have a divided marriage and have it be very successful. You, you have to agree on most things, otherwise you disagree on things. And what does Amos say? Can two walk together except they be agreed? And if they don't agree, sooner or later, they're going to disagree more and more and more. And most cases, it won't last. Some may manage to physically manage to stick it together and keep it together for the kids or whatever. But uh, the more agreement you have, then, the better it's going to work. The less agreement you have, the less it'll work. So there's extremes on both sides of that, but the more you agree, the better it's going to be. And with God, He expects total agreement. He got total, almost total disagreement with ancient Israel. He has almost total disagreement right now with Christianity, so-called. Nobody follows this book except those who have the truth. And where else do you find them than that which is left of worldwide? I know of no other place that has the truths of God as espoused in Scripture. They just don't have it. God didn't open their minds to it. Anyway, Isaiah 50. Thus says the Eternal, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. And he has done that modernly. By putting Worldwide Church of God away, she went right back into Babylon where she was set up by two unclean birds, as Zechariah 5 points out, the Tkachas in Babylon. And that's where she is today, having basically died there. So because of your iniquities, what's that? Sins. What is sin? Well, ask anybody in a Christian church, and they'll say, this or that or the other thing, but they won't quote Scripture. 
Sin is a transgression of the law, is what it is. And if the law is done away, then there can be no sin, right? Because there's nothing, there's nothing to sin for. You can only, I mean, if there's no law, you can do anything you want. I read years and years ago in, in, uh, in Detroit, somebody had a hippopotamus in their hotel room. I don't know how big it was, but whatever. And there was no law against that. So what did they do? They made a law against it. You can't have a hippopotamus in your hotel room. Up until then, it was legal. It was fine. Hotel didn't like it, but it was legal. Now it's not. I guess it's still on the books. Who knows? Probably the only time it was ever tried. But if, if sin is a transgression of the law, you do away with the law and there's no sin. Therefore, you can do anything you want. Isn't that Satan's perfect society? Do whatever you want. Whatever feels good. That's, that's the mantra of the so-called Christian nation today. Whatever, if it feels good, do it. So he divorced her. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that I, I can't redeem? For have I no power to deliver? And so on. You go to Hosea. I won't turn there for sake of time, I think. Uh, well, maybe I will just a little bit. Let's go back to Hosea 1. Because here again we have an end-time prophecy. And uh, it's about today. It's about the church, and it's about the nation. And uh, Hosea was asked to do something most of us would be repulsed by. Uh, God's word came to him and turned him into a prophet. And in verse 2 here, he says, the beginning of his word to Hosea. First thing he said to him is a brand new prophet. Go, Hosea, take unto you a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land has committed great whoredom, departing from the eternal. Now, what he's saying here to Hosea is, all those things that happened in history, and what we just read in Ezekiel 16, is what happened, and there was a divorce. So he says, I want you to go and give this prophecy before Israel to reiterate to them and remind them what history was and what I think of what has happened. Because he had in mind to create a new marriage. This time, with a better covenant, with the Holy Spirit to give people the opportunity to obey better, uh, and that's what the new covenant is, is a marriage covenant. So, this is written to us who would be a part of that covenant. So he says, Hosea, go marry yourself a whore. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And he said, call his name Jezreel. Uh, God will sow. Our, our scattered seed, or let's see what I have here, scattered seed of God. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, or Israel, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. 
says, this, you marrying this woman and having this child is a type of what I am going to do to Israel. Now that fits with Ezekiel 5, 4, 5, 6, and so on, about what he's about to do to this nation. Because we're still going a-whoring after other idols and anyone but God. And only few will be saved out of it. It shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So he's going to break Israel because of our national sins. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said to him, call her name Loru Hoami, uh, which means, um, can't read my own writing, unloved. Because she's unlovable. Israel is today. We are. And I will utterly take them away. I'll have no more mercy. I'll have some mercy on the house of Judah uh, by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow or by sword or anything. And then when she had weaned that one, uh, she conceived and bare a son who was called Loami or not my people. And I will not be your God. He tells us in Jeremiah not to pray for this nation. He says they will not repent. I am going to destroy them. And that's going to be accomplished, I think, within the next year. That's how close it appears to be. So these are extreme words that God wrote. He goes on down, says, Say to your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Rahu Ami, Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. You know, Hosea went through an awful lot marrying this gal and then having three kids by her. And every one of them was a dire prophecy of destruction and God's uh, attitude toward Israel and Judah. And that's the attitude he has today. It says there in Jeremiah fifty fifty one, we would save our nation if we could. We love America. We love the land God gave us. But this land, the culture, the society that is, is not worth saving. So God says, don't even pray about it. It's going away. So then what did he do in the New Testament? He began to call a people who would accept the truth. How did they learn the truth? He called the apostles. He taught them his ways. The first real teaching session he gave them was Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, about the attitudes they ought to have, about the way they ought to live, he made the law even more binding, so it's not just physical, but thought of sin is also sin. He raised the bar a lot, so you can't, you're not supposed to even think of sin and let it go through your head. Now, that's a tough one, but he gave us the Holy Spirit to give us the power, the strength to work on that and bring it under control. But he has not offered marriage to Israel again, has he, as a people, as physical Israel? No. He says he's not going to call them 
all Israel be saved, he says in Romans 11:26. But when we had put it together with other scriptures, we realized that's partially in the millennium, but mostly in the great white throne judgment is when most of Israel will be saved. But the bride will already be installed by then. First resurrection, 144,000. That's all who are offered or actually are given brideship. It's offered to more, but only 144,000 turn up qualified and are selected. So he says, I looked at ancient Israel as a physical people and I divorced them. That's the end for them as far as marriage with Christ. The only ones he will consider marrying now is those who live by the new marriage covenant, the New Testament, and it is drawn out of the Old Testament, and all these Old Testament scriptures are quoted in the New Testament. About a third of the New Testament is quotes from the Old Testament. Some paraphrase, but, but the thought is there. So he's offered it to a few, to you and me, for, one, for instance. And we are to look at history and say, he offered them marriage, he married them, then look what they did, and he divorced them. Now he's offered us the possibility of marriage, and he's let us be engaged through baptism, washing away the filth, and making us chaste virgins before his throne because that's the only kind of girl he wants to marry. He had Hosea marry a whore out of, as a type and says, we're not going this way anymore, boys and girls. Now I want a pure virgin. We'll see a little more about that, not tonight. That's what I want. And that's what he was cleaning the Corinthians up to be. By the washing of water, by the word or the truth, of God. So he can take that which is all messed up and fix it. He can take weak and base and confound the wise of the world with them. So he's given us opportunity, weak, base, uh, incompetent, <laughs> you name it, we're it for the most part. And we can't do anything on our own, even as Christ couldn't. He said, not by might, but by my spirit. That's the only way. So if we're going to make this thing work, and work right, and be the bride of Christ, we need to go to him regularly and be sure we know these words, and they're working at keeping them, and be sure we're praying that he pour his spirit out upon us so that we have the power and the strength and the courage to actually do it. We can have a form of godliness. We can have the Sabbath. We can have the feast days. We can have all these things, clean and unclean meats, you name it. We can have a form, which is what we had in Worldwide, but we did not accept the power of God through His Holy Spirit to change our thinking, to transform us into obedient, Types of Christ, as much like Him as possible. And that's what He wants of us. So there's the challenge. When I said I'd quit early, so I'll stop right there. <laughs>